Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> this evening, <clears throat> where's Brandon? He went out. <laughs> he's writing. He's writing his sermon for tonight. Uh, uh, Brandon is. Uh, uh, leaving for Bible college in the morning. He's going to be driving across the country to college, uh, and he's leaving in the morning. But uh, he today is his last Sunday with us, so I, I uh, asked him. I thought it would be appropriate, uh, seeing he's wanting. He feels like God is calling in to be a preacher of some sort. Uh, that it would be good for him to preach for us one last time. So he'll be doing that tonight. At least I hope so, because I'm not. Um, <clears throat> so um, anyway, uh, maybe he's um, so nervous he's sick to his stomach. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, pray for him. But the reason I tell you that is twofold. One, that you come and support him. Uh, and then two, tonight uh, we're going to be taking up a just a, a, a little bit of an offering to kind of help him with gas and food uh, to get across the country. Uh, so if you can help with that uh, uh, this evening, uh, that would be good. If you cannot make it back tonight and you want to do something, um, just see me afterward and I'll make sure that he gets it. And um, so anyway, we're going to be doing that uh, this evening. Uh, this morning in Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking at uh, a couple of parables that Jesus gives us. Um, <clears throat> we're actually going to be looking at two. Um but they are foundational, foundational parables, foundational parables. And, and I say that for two reasons. I, that I, I call them foundational for two reasons. One, it's our, our theme this year is a firm foundation. And as we have been going through the parables of Christ, um, <clears throat> that is the foundation of our faith. There he is. There's Brandon. I just was talking about you. You are preaching tonight, right? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, um, anyway, so uh, 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 the, our foundation, our firm foundation is in Jesus Christ, and you cannot get any more uh, foundational in Jesus' teaching than his parables. Um, so we've been looking through at those on Sunday mornings for, uh, well, for the whole year so far. And this morning, the, the, the two parables that we're going to be looking at are uh, uh, strong foundational truths. Well, I shouldn't say truths. It is a single truth, and that is <clears throat> God's love. It is the foundational truth that God loves you. And um, we'll get there in a few minutes. The second reason <clears throat> is because Jesus is teaching on this important foundational truth in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 15, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15, uh, it can be life-changing. Literally can be life-changing. And the reason I say that is because of this. When I, when I first heard the gospel back in 1980, the first time I heard the gospel, I rejected the gospel because... I did not believe that God could love me. 
And God had to take me through some events in my life over the next few weeks to prove to me that he could love me. And the love of God is something so precious. In fact, I, I, I early in my attempts of being a preacher, I <clears throat> decided I was going to preach on the love of God. You know how stupid that is? Because the love of God is so vast. You can't do it in one sermon. In fact, you can't do it in a lifetime. God loves you. How much does he love you? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. There, as, we, as we read these two parables this morning, you're going to see a progression of three things. You're going to see something that is lost, something that is found, and then you're going to see rejoicing. It's a pattern in both of these parables. Um, so <clears throat> let's read these parables, and you'll hope it's, it should be incredibly obvious to all of us as we read. In, in uh, Luke chapter 15, let's start reading in verse 4. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he found it, he laid it upon his shoulder, <clears throat> rejoicing. And when he uh, <clears throat> cometh home, he called unto, together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over the ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Look at verse 8. Neither, or excuse me, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she call, calleth her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, uh, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at these parables and we unwind them a little bit this morning and really dig into them, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would show us how much you love us. We are truly blessed. Thank you for your love. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My question has always been whenever I read a parable, and, and we've talked about this since we started this, this series on the parables, <clears throat> the first question I always ask with a parable is, why did Jesus tell the parable? I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's an obvious, should be an obvious question for us. So the question is, why did Jesus just give us these two parables? The reason why is in verse 1. <clears throat> then drew near unto, unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. Now, who are the publicans and sinners? Anybody? 
Okay, for the most part, they're just average people. It identifies two groups here. The publicans were tax collectors, and they were they were Jewish by birth, but they worked for the Roman government collecting taxes. So they were they were literally hated by the Jews, even though they were Jewish by birth, they were still hated. So this is a despised group of people. And then the, who are the sinners? No, they were they were still Jews, but they were they were the non-religious people. Okay, the people that were probably we would say grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Okay, so who's coming to Jesus? The dregs of society. The way we would phrase it today. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes, okay, who are the Pharisees and scribes? Okay, they're the upper class religious people, okay? So that's, that's who we're talking about here. Um, and the scribes, or the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man, being Jesus, receiveth sinners and eateth with them. That to a Jew is the ultimate insult. And he spake this parable unto them, saying. So why did Jesus tell the parable or tell these two parables? Because <clears throat> Jesus was trying to help the religious crowd understand their misconception of God's love, and at the same time, simultaneously that show to the publicans and sinners how much God loved them. It's amazing to me as I thought about this that Jesus attracted sinners where the religious crowd repels sinners. And let let me say this. I hope and pray that every person who walks through that door, no matter what they look like, what they smell like, what what they have on, it doesn't matter. Every person who walks through that door should be respected and welcomed. Pastors, whenever pastors get together, it, it never fails. One, one of us will say something to the effect of, you know, pastoring would be a great job if it weren't for people. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that about the truth, though? Seriously. But the, the, the unfortunate reality here is that that's kind of how the Pharisees lived. They, they, they were so consumed with keeping the law and pleasing God through keeping the law that they had forgotten about the common man. Now, hopefully, when a pastor says that, it's in a joke, okay? And, and hopefully you guys know me well enough to know that it is a joke for me. The reality is that we, as a corporate body of Grace Baptist Church, can fall into the same habits. We can get so consumed with our little group that we forget that there's a lost world out there that needs Jesus Christ. And we forget how much God loves each and every single person out there. The title of my message is this, The Parables of Love. The Parables 
of love. Again, the foundational truth is love. And we see it through something being lost, something being found, and then rejoicing taking place. As we look close to these two parables, we will find this morning that Jesus literally turns his listeners' understanding of love upside down. See, prior to these parables, most people's concept of love to God was that I have to I have to do, 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 do. And if God, if I do enough, God will pat me on the head and say, good job. That's that was the concept of most people during the day. And and the reality is this, that is the concept of most people today. And that is about the furthest thing from the truth. So Jesus' parables here literally turns the concept of God's love upside down for the listeners. And the Pharisees themselves were loved by God, but they didn't know it. Because their, their, their love was all connected to service. I have to do, 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 do in order to please God. Now, are we supposed to serve God? Absolutely we are. But we are not supposed to serve God in an attempt to earn God's love and favor. Jesus uses the Pharisees' prejudice to teach them about God's love. And and at the same time, he uses the parables to teach the sinners and the publicans how much God loved them. It's all about love. Look at verse 5 of our passage. And when when he hath found it, he, he layeth it on his shoulders and rejoiced. God has a jealous love for each and every single one of us. Each and every one of us. Jesus makes it clear to the Pharisees and to the and to the sinners that he loves them. Luke chapter 18 verses 10 to 14 is one of my favorite passages because it reminds me often about the fact that well let, let me just read it. <clears throat> Two men went into the temple to pray. And the one, a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, exhorters, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> extortioners, thank you, um, uh, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself 
shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus, I love this picture here because it, it is a constant reminder to me that God wants to hear from my heart, not my intellect. The, the Pharisee says that he prayed to himself. He did not pray to God. He prayed to himself. It was just a, an intellectual exercise for him. But the publican prayed from his heart. And I've said this many times. There, there are many, there are many things, or many times in my life that that I, I honestly I don't even know how to pray. I, I woke up this morning with a heavy burden on my heart. I don't know why, but God just put a heavy burden on my heart about something has nothing to do with anybody here. So don't think, oh boy, what did I do? Um, in fact, it's not even in this city, okay? Uh, but God just put a burden on my heart about some, and and it and I, I as I sat this morning uh, praying, I I said, Lord, how do I pray for this situation? I, I didn't really even know how. I just asked, Lord, if there's anything I can do, any way I can intervene to make it better, let me know. And that was my prayer, because I didn't know how to pray. And to the best of my ability, it was, it was something that came from my heart, and that is what pleases God. So point number one this morning, <clears throat> very simple points this morning. Number one, precious. Precious. The main characters <clears throat> uh, possess something valuable, and they didn't want to lose it. Okay, the first one was the sheep. The second one was a coin. The first parable, Jesus invites the, the listeners to literally participate in the parable. Look back at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, what man of you having a hundred sheep? So what was he doing? He was saying, hey, listen to me. Every one of you that is, that's listening this morning can understand what I'm about to say. And I want you to be a part of this parable <clears throat> so he, he, he's literally inviting them in to the parable to be a part of it. And he pulls them in, and, and because, because of the culture, everybody that is listening could understand the impact of what it would mean to lose something as valuable as a sheep. Jesus very clearly is showing us that we are precious to God. We are precious to God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, it says, For what is a man profited if he shall <clears throat> gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is precious. You are precious. Everyone is important to God. You, okay, let me, as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, how do I know I am precious? And the answer is really, really simple. The Bible says that, that <clears throat> Jesus said, a sheep is missing. 
He did not qualify it and say, you know what, my best sheep or my strongest or my prettiest or my most important, he said a sheep is missing. A sheep. So that could be anybody. And the shepherd went looking for a sheep because every sheep is important to the shepherd. Everyone. Point number one, we, we are all precious. Point number two, let's talk about rejoicing for a minute. The main characters ref- rejoice in finding their lost sheep. You know, in both cases, what did they do? Well, look, look at verse six. <clears throat> it says, and when he uh, cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying <clears throat> unto them, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep which is lost. Look at verse 9. And when she found, when she hath found it, she calleth her friends uh, and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Now, let me ask you a question. Did she have a cell phone? Did she even have a telephone? No, what did she have? She had to literally, both of them literally had to go house to house to house to notify everybody, hey, I'm going to celebrate. I want you to come over and celebrate with me. It wasn't just a matter of getting on the phone and starting a phone chain and saying, hey, let's, you know, let's all get together. No, this took effort. It was something that was diligent. They rejoiced over the lost sheep. Now, I want you to think about something. We live in a disposable society, do we not? Honestly, many people that read this passage might think, yeah, it's only one sheep. Just let it go. You got 99 over here. Take care of the 99. Why? Because in our disposable society, what is the most valuable commodity that we have? Time. Time. I, I remember when I was a building contractor, <clears throat> there were times that I, I had this one employee. This is back when sheetrock was about $4 a sheet. <laughs> Tells you how old I am. <clears throat> Here I'm paying him a lot of money per hour. And it took him three hours to put up four sheets of sheetrock. And, and I, I was just livid. And I, I said, what, what is taking so long? Well, I said, he said this. He said, I figure if I do it just right, you can take one of these back. Yeah, save me money. I'm like, okay, let's have economy 101 class here. Okay? You cost me more than that piece of sheetrock. Throw it away. You know? Anyway, so, but that's how we think. But praise God, that's not how God thinks. 
Because you are precious. We will rejoice. That's how precious we are. That is the exact point of this parable. The rejoicing takes place because God loves us. Because you are important. Look at verse 7. And I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Look at verse 10. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 and 14. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's wombs. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Praise God for that. You know, there was a time in my life, most of you know, I don't keep it a secret, but most of you know I struggle with dyslexia. And there was a time in my life that I felt inferior, uh, almost stupid. Well, no, I did feel stupid because of dyslexia. And, and, and I, I appreciate how patient you are with me, as, especially when I read, because it, it's very obvious that I struggle with it. But you know what? That's how God made me. And I had to get to the point in my life that I had to understand God loved me so much that he allowed me to have dyslexia. Isn't that awesome? So when I mess up, blame him. No, no, don't do that. That's awesome. So we see that we are precious to God and that we are worth rejoicing over. Point number three, tenderness. Tenderness. The main characters here, they both show tenderness in handling what they have lost. Look at verse five. And when he found it, he layeth it on his shoulders and rejoicing. I chose this word tenderness for two reasons. <clears throat> First one was because God convicted me, <clears throat> because I am not a tender person. <laughs> well, you laugh, man. <laughs> Let me let me give you an example of my untenderness, okay? Um, most most of you know we have a little dog named Sarah, and Sarah is an escape artist. How many of you have one of those? Okay, you you know what I'm talking about, okay? Well, Sarah loves to get out, and 
When she does, what do I do? I, I chase her down the street. And when I finally corral her, what do I do? Do I, do I gently pick her up and lay her on my shoulder? <laughs> no. I yell at her all the way home. And every, every one of my neighbors knows Sarah got out again. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, you knucklehead. Get, 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 All the way home, I'm just screaming at her. Not screaming, but you know what I mean. Just all the way home, just chastising all the way home. And what is she doing? She's got her tail tucked, and she's just, she's booking it home. Now, don't you be pious, because you all do the same thing, okay? <laughs> and the stupid thing is, who's to blame? I am, because I left the door open. But I yell at her, because she should know better, Kellogg. <laughs> and everybody's laughing, because you know exactly, because you do the same thing. That's the exact opposite picture that we're given here. There is no indication that this sheep is a first-time offender or a repeat offender. Now, I'm telling you, Sarah's a repeat offender, okay? Knucklehead dog. She's a repeat offender. And I remind her of that every time. Sarah, what are you doing? We go through this. But I dare say, please get this, because this is so important. I dare say that when we go astray, we are first-time offenders. Every time. You mean, what do you mean every time? Let me share a couple verses with you. Psalm chapter 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. What a beautiful picture of God's love. The, the reality is this. If you were to go straight north, you would hit the North Pole and if you kept going, what would you do? You would start going south until you hit the South Pole, and then you would start going north again, right? But that's not what he says. He says that as far as the east is from the west. If you go east, do you ever hit a South Pole? Or, or a West Pole, I mean. No, you just, you just keep going and going and going. Or if you go west, it's the same thing. There is no east and west poles. And God says, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far I've removed your sin from your life. What a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Another one that I love is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. 
Now, let me say this. God does not forget our sin, but God chooses not to remember our sin. So if you sin, how how many of you have done the same thing, the same wrong thing over and over and over? And you say something to the effect of, God, I did it again. Will you forgive me for the 600th time? You know what God says? Did what again? That's why I can say when we, the representation here is that we are first-time offenders. You know, the first time Sarah got out, I was a little more patient with her. But after, you know, after the 400th time, you know, what do you want to do? You know, know, just... But see, that's not how God treats us. What a wonderful picture of God's love in our lives. What a wonderful picture of how we should be to others in our lives. The second reason I used this word tenderness for this point was the wonderful picture that we see in verse 5 of the 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 picture here is the is the the heavenly father our heavenly father picking us up and putting us on his shoulder and bringing us back to the fold. What an incredible picture of tenderness that we have. There's no ridicule you know, if I, if I were, and the next time Sarah gets out, I'm going to try this. I'm going to pick her up, and I'll yell at her while I carry her. No, I'm teasing. But it, isn't that how we, we just, we want to get our frustrations out. But he doesn't ridicule the lost sheep. He doesn't, he doesn't, Yell at it. There's no frustration, only love. Only rejoicing. And then let me close with point number four, and we'll be done. Sentimental. We see how precious we are to God. We see that we are worth rejoicing. And we see his tender mercies exhibited in our lives. But let's talk about the sen- sentimental. How, how, how sen- yeah, I'm having trouble saying the word. Sentimental. And you think, okay, what does this got to do with anything? It's important. you gotta, you got to get this. Everything that was lost, the sheep and the coin, had sentimental value. Say, okay, wait a minute. How does a sheep have a sentimental value to a shepherd. It's just an animal. It may be just an animal, but it's the same reason why when little Sarah gets out, I chase her. Why? Because I've grown attached to her, and I care about her, and I don't want another dog bigger than her. Down the, well, that's not hard to do. She's only about this big. Um, but I don't want her to get hurt or get run over. Why? Because I've grown attached to her. There's a sentimental value here. Amen. 
And a shepherd always in that culture spent so much time with his, do they call them herds? Flocks, okay, with their flocks. He knew every one of the sheep. Every one. And they would, yes, and they would even probably, in most cases, they would name them. And as I thought about this, this, the fact that the shepherds became emotionally or sentimentally attached, if you would, I thought of John chapter 10, verse 27, where Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So not only does he know every single one of us, but we should know him too. And the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd was an incredible, important relationship in in that culture. And again, Jesus was speaking to a culture that understood what he was saying. The other sentimental thing in this story is the coin. You think, okay, what is a what is a piece of coin got to do with sentimental value? Well, <clears throat> the the coin, the ten coins, or the ten silver coins, more importantly, refer to a piece of jewelry worn by a bride. Not just a, it wasn't just a random coin. The other day, uh, Melanie and I were. Uh, out, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, we walked up to the counter, and there were three quarters laying on the floor or on the ground. And I, I bumped her and I said, "Hey, there's money down there." She, man, she dove down and got. <laughs> Why? Because somebody, you know, I, I have literally seen people walk through stores and they'll, they'll drop a coin, they'll look back, and they're like, "Ah, oh, just," and they don't care. That's the society we live in. You know, it caused, you know, you know, back again, giving my age away before the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, availability of nail guns. We used to do all our framing by hand, you know, 16 penny nails and and we would you know, carry nail bags and we'd have them. And and it never failed that, you know, you reach in your pouch and grab a handful of nails to, to, to go nailing and you always dropped one or two. And my guys would stop and pick them up. And, and I, I would tell them, stop doing that. It costs me more for you to bend over and pick up a nail than to just leave it on the ground. Again, that's our society. How precious are we? And this was a sentimental coin. Because it, it, from my understanding, I, and I could be wrong here, but I, the, the, the studying I did would be the equivalent of losing a coin would be the equivalent of losing your wedding ring to, to a bride. And the fact that she, she had lost something so valuable. Now, how many of you have ever lost? Well, I don't want to know. Um, but seriously, if you lose a wedding ring, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to scour the house until you find it, right? 
That's how important this piece of jewelry was. There was sentimental value. So it wasn't, again, it wasn't just a piece of money. It was, a, it, was, it was something important. And when she found it, it was not only sentimental, it was not only valuable, but it was incredibly special. And that's what we are to God. Again, Jesus was reaffirming to the sinners and the publicans that God loves you. Every single one of you. And he was, and he was help, trying to help the religious crowd understand God loves you. You don't, you don't have to live like that to earn God's love. I want to end with a story in the Bible that is one of my favorite stories. This man, his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a, is a publican, a tax collector. Not only, not only is he a tax collector, but he is the, uh, the, the, the chief tax collector, which means he was hated more than the rest. And the Jews absolutely despise this guy. But let's read the story in Luke chapter 19, in verse 1. It says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed into a sycamore tree. <clears throat> to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when he came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I will abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, excuse me, and when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. And get this, please get this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Jesus came. His love for you and for me. We are precious. And because, <clears throat> because we are precious, when we get right with God or when we get saved, there's rejoicing in heaven. the tenderness that he shows us. The fact that in reality, we are all repeat offenders, are we not? But yet he treats us as a single offender. Praise God for that. Why? 
because he has a sentimental attachment to each and every one of us because we are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. At the beginning, I said that we were going to be looking at this fundamental truth of love. And we see this in three ways. Lost, found, and rejoicing. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Praise God. Let me ask you in, in, in closing. Do you struggle with the love of God in your life? Do you struggle, let's say, and, and, and maybe you say in your heart, in your life, you say, Pastor, the truth is, I know me and I don't even like me. I've been there. But God loves you. And he died for you. So that you could spend eternity with him. And every time a sinner repents, there's rejoicing in heaven. And we are treated with tenderness and kindness. Not hostility and yelling and screaming, oh, you idiot, you did it again. Praise God. God treats me better than I treat my dog. <laughs> Isn't that horrible to say? I'm, I'm going to do better, I promise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, thank you for your tender mercies. The fact that my sin is cast away as far as the east is from the west. The fact that you have chosen to forget, or excuse me, not to forget, but to not remember my sin. Thank you for that. And thank you for being a caring and loving God that cares about me and will search me out and will bring me home. Thank you for your love. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me